Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them it's good to see them in the house of the Lord. If there's somebody here that you haven't met yet, why don't you step out of your aisle, go tell them hello, say it's good to be here. Amen. Why don't you make a little noise? I know this is kind of messing with you. Look at that. Look at that. I've asked you to do something you're not used to, and everybody just looks shocked. You don't know everybody. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Thank you, Jesus. You know, it's important to understand that there are some circumstances that you cannot change. I've heard a lot of testimonies about how it didn't necessarily change the circumstance. But you can allow yourself to be changed by your circumstances. And so perspective is all about how we live life. And so I might come here tonight not be exactly where I want to be, but where and how I let where I am define me. Determines my circumstance. If you're familiar with the mustard seed. The Bible says if you have the faith of a mustard seed. That is not talking about how small the mustard seed is. It's talking about the simple dynamic that the mustard seed. Unlike most other seeds has the uncanny characteristic of being planted just about anywhere and growing. In other words, it is a faith that is not determined by its atmosphere. Well, in other words, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you shall say to that mountain, be thou removed. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're in a desert place. Faith like a mustard seed can prosper regardless of the environment. We need some mustard seed people. That can say no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to say to the mountain whether I'm in the valley or not, praise God. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God, you're holy, wonderful, mighty, righteous. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn your attention to John chapter number 6, verse number 53. John 6, verse number 53. Thank you for this week's basket. Amen. Got to the hotel, and as I was walking by, she said, Are you in room such and such? I was a little worried. Um. I said, yes, I am. She goes, well, I've been trying to call the room, and the phone is taken off the hook. I said, really? I don't want nobody to call me. But she said, I have a basket for you. And I said, you better not have eaten nothing out of it. (laughs) Oh, we're going to have words. Get your own basket. I'm just kidding. John 6, number 53, then Jesus said unto them, verily, Verily I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood 
dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living father has sent me and I live by the father. So he that eateth me even so shall live by me. The scripture is not to the relief of everybody here. It is not condoning the practice of cannibalism. But rather it is dealing with what I would term as assimilation. What Jesus is saying is that we need to assimilate. We need to absorb. We need to bring into our life and into our world everything that he is. And so the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to talk to you just for a little bit on the subject of consuming the whole lamb. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift up your hands and ask the Lord to help us one more time in this place? Lord Jesus, we need your presence. We need your power. We need your anointing. God, let us hear from you tonight. Let there be a spontaneous understanding of the word of the Lord. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. I want to take us this evening for a brief little moment backwards into the word of the Lord to the dusty streets in the land of Egypt. Slowly the sun has dipped down over the horizon and night begins to filter in. On this night, the night that I bring us to, it is a night in which the muted cat calls of but a few sickly cattle are heard in the distance of the fading light. The slight wafting stench of the rotting corpses of frogs, the whimpers of little children shivering with fever and scratching fervently where the lice have bitten into tender skin. More than likely on this night, the doors were locked. Men still counted their losses. Herders and farmers considered the implications of the devastating pestilence that had come but a few nights before. It is a night of great, great, great sobriety. It is a night in which there is nary a smile, nary a laughter, nary a joke, nary a bedtime story. For it is a night in which still reverberates the implications of the man of God who has pointed an indicative finger at Pharaoh and has declared to him, now God will strike down the firstborn of every house of this land. Tonight, it is the apex of judgment. It is the climax of fury against a reprobate man. And yet, I take you to the parallel to the happenings in Egypt, the whimpers, the smells, the catcalls, and the pestilence to the providence that is known to us as Goshen. Here in this night, we find a bustling, perhaps quiet, most certainly an anxious and sober people. In the homes, a shuffling of the woman's skirts are heard, and the rustling of the aprons, the hushed preparation of what was to come. Here in Goshen, we are introduced to what is called among the Jews today as the Pesach, or what is to be known now as the Passover dinner. Technically, the Passover begins on the 14th of Nisan, but actually, according to the word of the Lord, it begins on the 10th day in which the Bible says in preparation of the death angel to come that every head of every household on the 10th day of Nisan, the Bible said, I want you to get a lamb for each household. The head of every home, the head of every household, every man was responsible for procuring a male lamb of the first year without blemish. It was short notice. It was not something that had been prepared for, but they began their desperate search for the lambs that would qualify for the substitutionary passing of the judgment of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord, it is for four days that when the head of the household was to find the lamb, that it was to be kept in the home for four days. That implies to me, as as we begin to look 
up this story, that implies to me that for four days it was kept among the family, even if there was some form of indoor stable. And thus, uh, I can only imagine that young lamb to some degree became a confederate uh, of the home, giving the lamb perhaps a name. The children uh, would curl down at the foot uh, of the bed and they would there play and, uh, and, uh, and discourse with that little baby lamb. It became, I believe, a household friend. It became a confederate of the family. It became something that for four days uh, they had heard its, its, its little cacophony of noises and they had to clean its messes and uh, they became connected to it. And then came the 14th of Nisan and that dreadful moment. Uh, I don't even really know if uh, the parents had prepare the children for what was going to happen. In the midst of all the preparation, the head of every household would grab that little lamb which had become trusting of the hands of the family, which had fed out of the hands of little children. And the last time that a hand would ever touch that perfect little lamb, it was when a knife was laid against its throat. And there the line was drawn and blood would begin to pour out of its neck. I cannot imagine in my own understanding the squeals of horror that filled that little room as the young children that were present watched their confederate twitch as the blithe blood began to pour out of its neck. I cannot imagine what it was like as the iron and the smell of the blood began to pour into the basin that was on the floor in the place where the lamb was held and the blood began to pour out. I cannot imagine the hiding of the eyes behind the hands, the wailing of the cries of little children, the turmoil to recognize that the only way to secure the safety of the firstborn is that the lamb has to die. The judgment of the Lord cannot be passed unless the lamb is slain. And so it was the lamb was slain and that lamb bled and that lamb suffered and that lamb's life blood was caught out. There the Bible says it was all for the preparation of the Passover feast. It had to be, number one, a male of the first year. It had to be without blemish. It had to be enough for a company of people, which was 10 to 20 people. The sacrifice, according to the word of the Lord, was to be offered between the evenings by the head of every household. When the blood began to flow, it was to be caught in a basin by the floor. And there, when the blood had pooled and coagulated as it lay there, they would take what was called an Egyptian caper. And they would dip it into the, 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 that little basin full of the blood. It was the head of the home that had to dip uh, the caper into the blood. And there uh, he would go, and the Bible says uh, that he would smite uh, it against the doorpost. Uh, listen to me when I say this. They did not paint it across the door, but they struck it. Literally what the Hebrews declaring is that the striking was violent. It wasn't a pretty sight. It had to be reminiscent of a violent strike against the door. It had to be the blood that splattered and moved as it hit the frames of the door. I, I don't know who was near that the blood splattered on, but I very much doubt that there wasn't a sandal, uh, there wasn't a, a robe or a garment or a cheek uh, or an exposed piece of flesh of the man uh, that was striking that blood against the post of the door that did not get some of the forensic blood of the lamb upon him. It wasn't a pretty night. Uh, it wasn't a pretty moment. Uh, the stench of iron uh, that filled that scent uh, of a 
freshly slain animal in the midst of the home. It permeated the room. It, uh, it was there that the boiling together of bitter herbs and everything that was coming together for a sober, distasteful, cruel, and bloody uh, in all extensive purposes. Uh, the first Passover and every Passover that would follow, it was an unwelcome dinner. It wasn't a dinner in which family enjoyed the fellowship of one another, but it was a time in which uh, the lamb, the Bible said, the more you begin to look at it, uh, the lamb had to be offered whole. It had to be roasted whole. Not raw, the Bible says, not sodden at all with water his head, with his legs and his innards thereof. The Bible made it clear there could be no break, there could be no division, there could be no separation, but that which was the piercing of the blade across the neck of the lamb for the blood to be shed. God made it clear you can't break a bone in the lamb's body. You can't divide the body in two. It has to be roasted in its entirety. And so in that process, striking the doorpost with the blood. In all reality, what was happening the moment uh, that the man, every man in this place, hear me, what was happening uh, when the man began to strike uh, the doorpost of the home uh, was that he was making atonement uh, for his home. He was turning his home into the altar that would hold the lamb, that would provide the salvation for the firstborn in the family. Every man in this room, I'd understand It is the responsibility of the home that the man make atonement for his family. We ought to get up every day and every moment of every hour. And we ought to strike the walls. And we ought to make our homes a place in which the sacrifices of praise are lifted up. Come on, men. We need to get an understanding. I am the one that's going to protect my family. I am the one that's going to protect those that are around me. I'm going to make atonement for my home. And so in the striking of the doorpost with the blood, the house was becoming the altar the lamb would be slain upon. It is not pretty. And as the smells of the lamb permeated the room, they sat down to eat of the meal. And the chunks were beginning to be pulled from the lamb that had to be roasted whole, not a bone broken, Nothing removed from it. God made sure that every portion of that lamb was going to be consumed by those that sat at the table. And they would begin to rip chunks out of that lamb. Sitting down as twilight approached began again the noise. The outdoors was quiet. Perhaps just the sounds of animals. Perhaps just the sound of the residual marks of the plagues were heard. As in that moment, darkness laid hold upon the land. Mothers and fathers reach out. Even, I believe, the infant that could not eat meat. But somehow, I believe that mama... Had to break down that little piece of lamb that he pulled from that lamb to make it small enough for even the littlest mouth to digest the contents of the atoning lamb. There they ate at the table. Bitter herbs suffering through every bite. Shoes on their feet, coats on their shoulders, bags packed in by the door. It was not a pretty meal. It was a meal of haste, which at any moment, God was going to tell them, get up and go. But before you leave this home, you must consume the lamb. While the destroyer began to wander through the streets of the homes that did not have a lamb, that did not have the blood. There was the splattered, haphazard lentils of the doors. They began to chew a bitter meal as the destroyer began to do its terrible work. And the cries of the world began to elevate in the morning and its suffering. Egyptian mothers and mothers that failed to put the blood on the door and husbands that did 
not do what God asked them to do, the whales began to lift. Perhaps Jewish families mixing with them. Those that did not want to break away from Egypt. And yet in the midst of the babies that were dying, in the midst of the firstborn children that were finding themselves with the breath coming out of their bodies for the last time, you had to chew. They had to eat the lamb. They could not push away that which was on the table. But every bite mattered. Every Every moment mattered. And so true you must. You cannot leave the home. It was clear until you have consumed the lamb. We focus so much on the blood. And I'm telling you, I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the merciful blood of Jesus Christ that washes away my sins. I'm thankful for the blood that we have available to us here and now. I'm thankful that there came that day, that crimson stream of scarlet blood that began to wash away the sins of my life. I'm telling you right now, the blood is here now. The blood still works. The blood's still amazing. The blood is still the antidote to the stains that sin leaves behind. The blood, I'm telling you the blood, we ought to celebrate the blood. We ought to be thankful for the blood. We ought to rejoice about the blood. We ought to give God praise for the blood that is shed for you and me. I'm thankful for the blood. Hallelujah. But you got to understand something tonight. We focus so much on the blood. We focus so much on the blood that was on the lintel of the door. But honey, the blood on the lintel was put there to keep the destroyer out. But the reason that God told them that by the time the morning comes, you have better eaten all of the lamb. And he said, whatever you don't eat, you've got to burn it. The reason that God wanted them to understand before you leave the blood, you have better digest every morsel, everything that the lamb represents. Because once you leave the blood, if you don't have the lamb inside of you, then you can't make it past the Red Sea. The purpose of entering into the world was you've got to consume the lamb. You can't pick and choose what you want. You can't eat only the parts you desire, but you've got to consume the entire lamb. I'm here in a, in a century and an age and an hour where people are picking and choosing at the table of atonement, that which of Christ they want to consume. They want the benefits and the blessings that comes with coming to the house of the Lord, but they don't want to deal with the separation and the holiness and the modesty and the principles and the purposes of living for the Lord. I've come to tell somebody in this place tonight, I feel the Holy Ghost leading and guiding me. We have come into a place of such power. We have come into a place in which there is the blood. You can have the mercy of God. You can find forgiveness in the blood. But honey, when you leave the room of this place, you have better made up your mind. I'm going to consume the lamb. I'm going to take every part of it. I'm going to consume the parts I don't like and the parts I do like. I'm not going to pick and choose about the parts that I do not want to consume. He made it clear, you must consume the lamb. If you decide, I don't want to eat the innards. He said, no, you're not going to divide it. Because if you divide it, that's when you start picking and choosing the parts you find acceptable to put in your teeth. I'm telling you something, church. We've gotten to a place to where we're picking and choosing if we want to pray. And we're picking and choosing if we want to fast. And we're picking and choosing the things we let into our home. And we're picking and choosing the things we don't want to submit to. And we're picking and choosing the things that we don't feel are necessary. But I've come with a message in the 21st century to those that would compromise and those that would say that it's all relative, relevant and you can live the way that you want to live and I don't feel it's necessary I feel that the more that I get the recognition and the understanding I want to eat all of it I want to consume everything that there is to eat it doesn't taste good sometimes but you gotta chew it you gotta swallow it you gotta digest it you gotta make up your mind that before I leave the house of the Lord I'm not gonna wrestle with digesting and consuming 
all of the lamb. We must consume the lamb. I'm going to say that again. There's denominations that'll preach that you don't have to live different than when you come to Christ. There's people that believe that you can come to him, accept him in your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. And you can go back outside and smoke your cigarettes. You can go back outside and drink your alcohol. You can continue to curse and live like the world. You can put things in your home that is trash and filth. But I've come to tell you that God says that if I have the love of the world in me, I have not the love of the Father. Why? Because I have not consumed all of it he is. And God said no man can serve two masters. And so I better understand there comes a place and a point of decision that I'm not just going to do what I feel is necessary but I'm going to do everything that the Bible tells me to do. This isn't about man telling me what to do. This is about Jesus Christ giving me a book and a manual that tells me you must be baptized in Jesus name. You must repent of your sins which means I'm not going to do them again and you must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It doesn't matter if we think it's necessary. This book book tells me that that is what we must do to be saved. Oh, I thought I'd get a little more apostolic help right now. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. You must consume the lamb. You must eat every drop and every morsel of it. I'll defend this uh, until I take my dying breath. Uh, I live by it. I breathe by it. Uh, I get my life by it. Uh, honey, you might say that we look different and we look weird. Uh, but the Bible says, uh, come out from among them uh, and be ye separate. Uh, you can decide for yourself whether you want to do that or not. Uh, but it doesn't negate the necessity of it. Uh, you must uh, consume the lamb. You must uh, consume the lamb. It doesn't matter what we feel like we want to do. My God, I got to do everything he tells me. We plead and we conjole and we shout and we tell illustrations of sadness to get people to respond to the preaching of the word of the Lord. But I kind of felt tonight to come in and just say that there comes a time that while there's mercy and blood in this place and I'm thankful for the blood, I don't want to leave these doors until I've consumed all the lamb. Because if I don't consume the lamb, if I come down to this altar tonight uh, and I say, you know what? I like this, but I don't like that. I would, I would not want to be the person that walks out of the doors of this building and tries to defeat the world with only half the lamb consumed in my body. We must consume the whole lamb. Every bit of his counsel, every bit of his purpose, every bit of what God wants, we must consume the lamb. Fellowship with half the lamb is not relationship. And you can't make it to heaven on just fellowship alone. But you've got to know that you have all of what he is inside of you. You must know that when you stand before the Lord, that what he sees is all of him and not just some of you. But we must consume the lamb I don't know why the Holy Ghost has led me to preach what I feel to preach. But the world's becoming an expert at pleading the blood. They're becoming an expert at choosing what we want of the Lamb. The world's become an expert at arguing and principalizing and telling us this isn't necessary, that's necessary, and this is. But I'm telling you right now, I don't care what a man says. I don't care if he has a degree behind his name. What this book says still stands. Sister Alexander, this is never changing. This is going to continue. It's still the same. It doesn't matter what culture says, what culture does. It's still the Word of God for people to follow the book and the Word of God. We've gotten scared of preaching the whole counsel of God. But honey, if you leave the house without consuming the lamb, you're not safe. You can't make it. There's no way that you're going to survive and be successful. So in the apathy of the moment, some would tune you out and say, I don't feel that's necessary, preacher. This isn't about an organization, a domination, or a principle and a purpose of a man. This is about what does the Bible say. 
I'm past and I'm past arguing with those that want to want to fight and resist and push against this Bible. I'm past sitting down and trying to argue and convince you what the Bible says. It's pretty clear it's in there. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Sometimes I wish God would shake the foundations of everything that we have and believe to get us to get back to a place to where we're receptive to the word of the Lord. And it's not just another sermon that just moves upon us and itches our ears and makes us feel good and makes us feel great and say, wow, what a thought. I wish some of us could get back to a place to where we're so stirred and shaken by the word of the Lord that it would drive us back to our knees in consecration to go home and get things out of our home that is destroying our children's life. I'm telling you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to step away. I'm going to preach the word of the Lord. I'm going to consume the lamb. If you don't preach the whole lamb, then people can't consume the lamb. I'm going to I'm closing. And so you must consume the lamb. I'm reminded of a conversation the other day that really scares me to the heart and the core of what I am. Of people that I grew up with in the apostolic movement. Three or four of them, I watched a discussion that was going on. One of them said, well, 15 years ago, this was considered wrong. And now a large majority of the churches that preached against it have decided that it's okay. And the statement and the response from these people was, finally, they've gotten the revelation I had 15 years ago. People that have walked away from God, backsliders that have left God that are not living for the Lord, are being justified by those that are now deciding the leg's not part of what we've got to eat. The liver's not a part of what we need to consume. You know, we can divide and separate and take and do things with what we want to do. But I can tell you this right now. I don't want to be mean about it and I don't want to live judgmental. But what I do want is I want to live the entire counsel of the word of the Lord. I want to consume the whole lamb. I've been very careful this whole sermon because of some of what I feel is happening in this place. And out of respect for your pastor, there's some things that I just won't hit if he's not present. But I do feel like there's some of us that have been making decisions to reject certain parts, to not really align to some of the dynamics that we know to be true and know to be right. And so we've begun the game of, do I want this or do I want that? But I don't want to leave the house. Until I've consumed the whole lamb. God forbid that my children. Grow up in a home that vacillates. To where when they decide for themselves what is right. They don't have anything firm to stand upon to make the choice. God have mercy. I'm in the Holy Ghost. He shot God forbid one day I come and I tell my child you shouldn't be doing that. And he looks at me and says, Daddy, we watched you get rid of it many times. So why is it necessary to me now? I would hate to be the one that got out of the house and decided I didn't want to eat all of it. And I told God that, you know what? I'll take the parts I like, but I'm going to leave the parts I don't. You can play the blood all you want. God will be merciful. But when you walk into this big bad world, if you don't have all the lamb inside of you, and if you have not assimilated all that God is, it's the biggest reason for all the people's failures that come in, live God for but a moment, momentous little time and walk away from God. Have you ever wondered why some people come in, get the Holy Ghost and can't seem to make it past two days? It's simply because they made a decision at an altar. That while I like this part of it all, I don't want the rest of it. And honey, if you decide to live for God easy, it's going to be really hard. But if you decide to live for God with all your heart, mind, and soul, it'll become easier as the days go by. Hallelujah. And so, I feel the Holy Ghost. You must consume 
the lamb. You must put flesh between your teeth. You must begin to chew and chew and chew and chew. You can't spit out the gristle. You can't spit out the parts that are a little undercooked for you. You can't spit out the parts you don't like. One bite after the next. You have to consume the lamb. Oh, God. One bite after another. I'm reminded of Elisha reaching the end of the rope. Thought that he couldn't make it any further. The Lord prepared a meal for him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And so tonight I felt in the Holy Ghost to talk to some people that we must consume the lamb. Can we lift our hands right now and just begin to love the Lord? Oh God. Oh God. Hallelujah. Let's stand in this house. I wish tonight for all intensive purposes... That I could have had a table prepared and set up. I wish that I could have had bitter herbs. Lamb roasted whole. But I've come tonight whether or not we're shouting or screaming. To pinpoint the reason that a lot of us in this house struggle with consistency and living for the Lord. Hello. Hello. Talking to some of you. There's no way to make it. If you've made up your mind that all I'm ever going to do is respond to the things I like, embrace the parts I enjoy. See, I've heard a lot of us talk about the suffering that we've gone through. We fail to recognize that what the Apostle Paul was saying is he said, you know, fellowship with Christ is all in all. He said, I even fellowship him in suffering. What made the Apostle Paul so poignantly powerful was the fact that Paul made up his mind when he first started living for the Lord. I got to have it all. I've got to live the parts I don't understand. I've got to do the things that don't really go with my flesh. But I've made up my mind that not one thing of the lamb will remain when I leave. And so the table's prepared. The face of those that would destroy us. You got to sit down. You got to take out the fork. You got to spread the napkin. You've got to begin to cut chunks out of that lamb that sits on the Passover table. The presence of sin and the presence of the darkness of the world. A decision has to be made. Well, that part's a little too gritty. It doesn't matter. And so tonight, I knew coming in here, that I was just going to have to get through it and preach it. But there's some of us that are going to try to leave this house tonight that have not been obedient to the command of God, the whole counsel of what God has declared for us to do. And whether or not there's a conversion in the house tonight, whether or not there's lives that are changed in this very instant moment, I felt important enough in the Holy Ghost that every person in this room began to reflect upon the whole Lamb. 
I don't care what the preacher down the road or I don't care what this preacher here even has to say. Talking about me. If it's in the word of the Lord, I don't have a choice. I don't care how good, good they can explain it away. If it's in the word of the Lord. The Bible says the half of what could have been written was not even written. Which goes to tell me that what God decided to give to us in this biblical format means he found it essential to give us exactly what we need to make it to heaven. Nothing less and nothing more. And so if God condensed down to that which we have and hold in my hand right now, then that means every part and every fiber of what God's asked me to do, I need to learn how to be submissive to it and say, I'm going to consume the lamb. And so, let me start with this. I've mentioned it already. But let me begin that with by the lifting of hands, those that would like to make it to heaven, lift your hands. All right. Everybody in this room would like to make it to heaven. And so the Bible says that you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. The remissions of your sins. The Bible says that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that when the Holy Ghost moved upon them in the book of Acts, and I know this don't stir some of you no more. But when the Spirit began to move in the fulfillment of Jesus telling, telling a man that you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. The Bible says that there, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And the Bible says they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the evidence. Why does God choose the tongue? I know that we have a lot of things. I know this, this might be different for some of you, but I'm just obeying the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we can try to scream and shout people into an altar, but sometimes what they need to leave with is just a solid understanding of somebody told me what the truth was. Amen. Why, did, why does the Bible give tongues as the evidence? The Old Testament said that God's going to give you a new heart. It said a new heart and a new spirit will I put in you. It said I'm going to give you fleshly tablets of the heart. Then when you look at Jesus looking at the Pharisees, he says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So the reason that you speak in another language is because it is the evidence of a brand new heart. For out of your heart, a man speaketh. And just like a newborn baby that's born in a hospital... What every doctor's waiting to hear out of that baby's mouth is a noise. Because it's noise that tells you that that baby's alive. And so when we are born again to the water and the spirit and we are baptized in his name. Hey, somebody's feeling the Holy Ghost right now. We've gotten way too comfortable about this revelation. We, we forget what it's like to see it for the first time. Hallelujah. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. And so when a newborn baby's born, it makes some noise. That is why I believe the Apostle Paul said, he said that when we received the spirit of adoption, he said, whereby I cried, Abba, Father. I believe that everybody, when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, begin to speak with another tongue, that somewhere in that tongue there is the declaration of Father. Why? Because you are no longer that what you used to be, but you are now a child of the living God. So number one, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Jesus' name. Hey, I'd preach like this if I was in the Philippines. I'm just preaching straight standard truth. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, it's crucial that you're baptized in Jesus' name. John, Paul came across some of the disciples of John. He said, hey, have you been baptized yet? Have you received the Holy Ghost? They said, no, we have not so much even heard of the Holy Ghost. 
So he said, well, let me tell you about it. And the revelation came. The Bible says that he rebaptized him as well. Why? Because if you haven't been baptized in the only name given among men whereby we must be saved, you haven't had the real, true, powerful name called over you in repentance. <laughs> Next step. Am I boring anybody? I'm going to tell you. If we ever build up critics about this kind of preaching, then we've lost our love for true preaching. Oh, I love this. Can I just be honest with you? I feel like as preachers, we've gotten so caught up trying to give a good thought that we've gotten away from the most crucial of the matter. Have you received since you believed? And so, baptized in Jesus' name. I don't know if there's water and if it's possible, but if you want to be baptized, we'll find a way to baptize you. There's probably a really cold swimming pool at my hotel. I'm too big for my bathtub, so I'd have to have the swimming pool. And so after you're baptized in Jesus' name, receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that talks about the, 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 the Moabites that settled on their leaves and were not changed. Let me give you a two-minute Bible study on that, and then we're going to go home. Is that all right? I'm freaking some of you out. Bible says they refused, refused to be poured from one vessel to the other. What that scripture is talking about. I want everybody to hear me at this point right here because this is crucial. What it's telling us is that in the process of filtering wine, for wine to become, to become pure and intoxicating, is that you had to begin for a 40-day process, you had to begin to pour the wine over into another vessel that had a filter on top of it. And day after day, you poured it and poured it and poured it and poured it because what would begin to happen is that the process of fermentation was severe agitation. And so what it would do is begin to shake up the inner parts of what was in that vessel and to begin to separate the sediments that came out. And what he was saying is that you refuse to be empty from vessel to vessel, which tells me that what you refuse is that once the wine was poured into the vessel, you refuse to allow the wine to shake out the sediments of life. And so the next step that you have to have when you get the Holy Ghost, you've got to make up your mind, I'm going to let God pour out of me the things that don't need to stay in me. Because if I don't submit to the pouring from vessel to vessel, the Bible says that I will settle down on my lees which is the sediment and the dregs of my life. And he said, because of that, my scent remains and my taste will not change. And so the only way to live victorious for Christ is when I come into the house of the Lord and I say, God, whatever your counsel is, I want to I repent because that's what you told me to do. And I want to be baptized in Jesus' name because that's what you told me to do. And I need to refill, I need to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking another tongue so I can be born again. But once I'm born again, then I'm going to start allowing God to process the things out of my life that don't need to stay. That's where people that get the Holy Ghost walk away and never come back from God. is because they refuse to allow God to process those things out of their lives. Honey, when you get the Holy Ghost, I promise you, you're going to go to your home and say, Man, how come that bothers me and it never used to? Amen. And so tonight, if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, we do invite you to be baptized in Jesus' name. But I wonder right now if we just lift our hands and thank the Lord. And would you begin to ask him that you consume every part of what he is? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, lift up a prayer. God, I want all of your counsel. I want all of, of what you are. Oh, God, I want everything that you represent. I don't want to balk against the things I don't like, God. Help me, Lord, to submit to everything. Oh, help me to submit to everything. Help me to submit to everything. Hallelujah. 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 You know, I'm going to give a collective altar call because I don't want anybody to feel as though they're singled out. But I'd like us to come. Because maybe in the midst of this place, there are people that do not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost that know that they need the Holy Ghost. Hey, you don't have to be screaming and shouting. People can get the Holy Ghost in a service just like this.
I've preached revelation right now in this place. Is there people that will come? Would you come, not let everybody else be the first, but would you begin to pray and come to this altar? Why don't you reflect on your own lives? If you're here tonight, you need the Holy Ghost, or you don't understand it all, do you know you need to be baptized in Jesus' name? I invite you to this altar. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, would you begin to thank him? Would you begin to love him? Would you begin to praise him? God, let me consume all the lamb before I leave this place. God, don't let me pick and choose what I think is necessary. God, don't let me make the the mistake, God, of getting out of this place. Not giving all of my heart, mind, life, and soul. Come on, he can deliver you from addiction. He can deliver you from, from, from things going on in your home. You just got to respond to the word of the Lord. You got to respond to what you feel. Come on, right where you are, just begin to say, Lord, please forgive me the things that I've done in my life. God, I want to be cleansed. I want to be renewed. I want to be washed. God, I'm making up my mind that when I leave this house, I'm not going to go back to those things anymore. Jesus' name.